Right, good, good morning, everyone. Apparently, my voice is a lot louder than my wife's. <laughs> in volume, not importance. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, good save. Thank you very much. Uh, so, we've been going through a series called The Way of Wisdom. And today is our final one. And what we've been doing in this series is diving into the book of Proverbs specifically into some very practical wisdom that God's Word has for our daily lives. Not only the so-called sacred spaces like church, Bible study, and worship, but for our friendships, for our marriages, and for all of our lives. And man, oh man, going into the series, I don't think any of us predicted just how hard-hitting the series would be. I mean, let's not kid. Let's evaluate how on average we make use of the book of Proverbs. I'd say the average person uses the book of Proverbs as a nice meme in the morning to send somebody. Or maybe like some chocolate sprinkles on the rest of their day. Just a little Christian-y, bible thing to make you feel wonderful for a few moments. But how many of us have seen God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs as something that challenges whether I'm wise in my own eyes? And if my wisdom differs with God's wisdom, then I need to make some changes with regards to how I think, how I trust God, and how I live my life and I make my choices. Because God wants us to live well and wisely in His world. So at the heart of this is, do we trust Him? Now today is our final part, and today is going to be no different, because today we're talking about God's money and God's wisdom. Now, I know as Christians how much we love speaking about money in church, right? Can you hear the dripping sarcasm for a number of reasons? I think one of the main reasons is because we've maybe been turned off by some of these prosperity teachings where the only person who's living a prosperous life is the pastor who flew in on the Learjet that day. Or maybe you've been told, if you give, then you'll get your blessing. Then you'll live the good life. Then you'll get your healing. Then God will repay you 10 or 100 times. But many of us have seen through that nonsense, and yet it still leaves a sour taste in our mouths, right? I think a second reason why it's hard to talk about money in church is because as we're going to see later, one of the biggest competitors for the throne of your heart is money. So there's a heart thing going on. But the third very practical reason why it's going to be hard to hear today's message is because what we've heard earlier, we're going into a fourth wave after almost Two years of dealing with financial struggle after financial struggle. And yet, having acknowledged all of that, I want to invite you into this topic just as I've invited you into every single other topic. And that is this, am I going to trust 
my perspectives? Am I going to be wise in my own eyes? Or am I willing to lay that down and adopt the perspective of God on my resources? God wants you to live well and wisely in His world. And let's not kid, money occupies such a massive position in our lives. And so wouldn't it be weird if God had nothing to say about it? So let's humbly approach God's word this morning and see what God has to say with regards to money. He knows the pitfalls. He knows what destroys. He knows the opportunities. He knows the place it should play in our life in order for us to live well and wisely and flourish in His world. So let's trust Him today. The first thing we're going to see today is how money is a good thing, not a God thing. I've mentioned earlier how some prosperity preachers have tried to make money out to be something that the Bible doesn't make it out to be. But on the other hand, we can maybe treat money as something that is evil, a necessary evil maybe. But money is a good thing, but it is not a God thing. Meaning, we cannot and should not look to money to do what only God should be doing in our hearts and our lives. And yet we find ourselves doing this all the time. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 11 verses 16 says, A kind-hearted woman gains respect, but ruthless men gain only wealth. What is being paralleled here is, by what means do we try and gain respect in this world? Is it going to be what clothes you wear, by what car you drive, by how you carry and display your wealth? Or is it going to be via your character? Now, maybe you would rightly push back saying, but Stephen, that's a wonderful ideal. But in case you haven't noticed, that's not how the world works. The world doesn't honor character and the world does respect you more when you have more. And I say two things in response to that as a pushback. And I say, since when did we adopt the world's values? But number two, I would say if that is true, if you have discovered that as your wealth has increased, people have started to like you more, people have started to flatter you more, is that truly the kind of respect that you want? Because where will that respect go when your wealth goes? And if you have no character behind that, you never had respect in the first place. And so are we going to put our hearts into gaining the esteem of God and man through our wealth or through our characters? Here's another example. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. What is being challenged here is this idea that if I have wealth, I have a false sense of security that I am, because of my wealth, going to be protected 
from the dangers of the world and the dangers of sin. I imagine it to be a fortified city and an unscalable wall. And maybe you don't have money and you are experiencing the dangers of this world and the dangers of sin. And you think to yourself, if I had money, then I would be protected from these things. Now, it is true for anyone not uh, watching us from South Africa, we do live in a nation where we do need to consider our physical security in different ways. And it is true that if you have money, you can build a bigger wall, you can have better security, you can have bigger dogs, you can have people on alert for you. And to some degree, that may be true. But if you just had to walk around our population or even the population of this world and speak to people of various classes as to how they experience the dangers of life, money doesn't stop the dangers of life and the dangers of sin. Money cannot stop a disease. Money cannot stop death. Money cannot stop a marriage or a family falling apart. In fact, maybe money is the reason the marriage or the family fell apart or the reason behind my ill health. So money can give us a false sense of security. But Proverbs is warning us saying no amount of money can protect you from that. But perhaps the biggest warning from the book of Proverbs comes up in this verse. Proverbs 11 verses 4, which says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. What this verse is acknowledging is, yes, many of us, are going to spend all our efforts and all of our energies and all of our attention and even all of our affection on generating wealth in this life at the expense of my character and my righteousness. Yet the day is going to come when I'm going to stand before God imagining that my wealth is going to be what protects me from Him. And yet I'm going to find that all of that wealth accounts for absolutely zero when I stand before a holy God. And in the one area that's of character and righteousness that truly matter, I am dirt poor. Now, let me just clear up a fallacy here. This verse is not saying that all wealthy people have poor character and that all poor people have great character. That is most certainly not true. But the point is this. Out of the many things that I look to to save me, money is the easiest thing whereby I become deceived that it'll protect me from this world and maybe even it'll be of eternal value and yet one day I'll discover the exact reverse is true. So here's a verse that speaks to the heart of the heart of money. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. It's not about having or not having, but whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And so the heart of the question is, does money have you or do you have money? 
Are you looking to things and wealth and money to define you? To earn you respect, to earn you security, maybe even eternal security, to affirm you. Not only will you discover that that is a never-ending will because it never satisfies. And the more we amass, the more we try and fill an eternal void in our hearts. The book of Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And maybe you haven't noticed, but money is not eternal. Only the eternal one can satisfy. Which is why Jesus says, the heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, that heart will be filled. All right, so not only does Proverbs warn about the place that money has in our hearts, but the book of Proverbs has so much practical wisdom to give us about how to make money wisely. Proverbs 13 verses 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Here we can see that God is not against money. In fact, having money little by little, growing it honestly is considered a virtue here. But this verse is challenging how we make our money. Now, once again, we live in a context in our nation where we know that corruption is rotting our country from the inside out, from the top down, from the left to the right, across all races and creeds. Now, it is easy for us to point our fingers at officials. It is easy for us to point our fingers at companies that have been in the pockets of officials. It's easy for us to point at the CEOs that were caught with their hand in the cookie jar. But the challenge comes to every single one of us who may never make news headlines. Have you been integrous in how you've made your money? Have you ever asked your accountants to do what is known as creative accounting? Have you ever deceived a client, an employer or employee or SARS? That challenge comes right back to us. You see, one of the biggest reasons why we want to make dishonest money versus he who gathers money little by little, making it grow over time, is because we want to make a lot of money very quickly, right? Which takes us to the next verse. Proverbs 20 verses 21 says, An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Here's a secret dream that I reckon every single one of us has, myself included. And the secret dream is to make a boatload of money with little or no effort, right? Yes. Because I'm in my difficult situation, but if I can make a lot of money quickly, then we can talk about generosity. Then we can talk about some of the other things we have yet to speak about today. Then we can speak about honoring God. Then we can think about, you know, making money wisely and all those kinds of things. We imagine that making money quickly is the quick way to the good life. 
And yet so much research has gone out to prove the exact opposite is true. We don't have this kind of research in our country as far as I'm aware. But in the United States, do you know that lotto winners are more likely than their colleagues to file for bankruptcy within three to four years? And do you know that winning the lotto hasn't changed their happiness or satisfaction in life at all? Now, here's where we're going to trust. Are we going to trust God's perspective or my perspective? Because you're like, yo, whatever, Stephen. But I know if I won the lotto, things would be different. Maybe God knows our hearts. Maybe he knows what we don't know. See, Proverbs 23 verses 4 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Because once again, we want success today. The lifestyle that took 30, 40 years for our parents to develop, we want by our 30th birthday. And if we don't, we're failures in our own minds and hearts. And so we literally wear ourselves out pursuing something that will never truly satisfy. And this verse is so apt because I know for a fact what is true in our nation and in nations around the world while having financial struggles can be extremely stressful. The pursuit of money Where's out our hearts? Where's out our minds? We are mentally ill. We are physically and spiritually ill in the name of chasing down our wealth. And yet in our minds, it's still worth it, right? But once again, notice that the Bible's not against money, but it's trying to give us wisdom with regards to how we live balanced lives the role that money plays in our hearts and how we often actually lose so much in the name of gaining wealth. And that is why Proverbs has so many warnings about this. But Proverbs is not only about warnings. I believe Proverbs wants to give us some wisdom with regards to how to steward money wisely. Another word would be how to manage money Wisely, And the first one is that we save. Proverbs 22 verse 20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Proverbs 13 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now I've got two pets. <laughs> one is a cat, panda cat, and one is a black Labrador. And they're both wonderful. They're both cute. They both bring us a lot of joy and irritation. But the cat will fill his bowl after him having meowed for I don't know how long. He'll take one bite and walk away. Whereas my Labrador will eat her full. Sometimes I will feed her without having known that someone else in the family fed her. And guess what? She will eat her full. And apparently, Labradors will eat quite literally until they die. 
And so the question is, is that how you and I are with our money? What this verse is not talking about is someone who has too much month at the end of their money and they're honestly just trying to pay their bills and so that money disappears very quickly. But it's about someone who's got the opportunity to save and think about their future, think about a rainy day, think about their kids' future or even their kids' kids' future, but they choose to spend it all at once. And what I love about this is that what these verses are showing us is that it is godly and wise and biblical to save and to think about the future. This is not about this nest egg that we look at and nurse because it's our new God, but it's about being wise. Wise with regards to how we steward our money. A second way that we can steward our money well is by being generous. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24, verses 25 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly. He is not generous, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I believe that God is always calling us that if we're going to be wise in His world, He's calling us to live lives of generosity. In all ways, but in this particular place, with regards to our finances. Now, I know that some of us are sitting here saying, Stephen, generosity. You want me to be generosity with, be generous with my money? What money? It's not today's message, but there are other ways of being generous with our time, with our attention, with our energies. But have you ever wondered why when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, this is how you should pray. Give us, not me, give us this day our daily bread. And I want you to imagine that you pray that prayer and then somebody on the opposite economic spectrum is praying that prayer and how do you think God answers the us prayer? By maybe blessing one so that through his or her generosity, the other's prayer is answered too. God knows our hearts. This is a kingdom value. It is good for your heart. It is good for others. And it is good for our world that we display generosity in this way. But Proverbs narrows our generosity a little bit more. Let's talk about being generous specifically to the poor. Proverbs 19 verses 17 says, He who is kind to the, Lord, to the poor lends to the... Who are we lending to when we lend to the poor? God. Maybe we need to recalibrate our imagination when we are generous to the poor. Because how many of us tend to look down on the poor? And yet if we had to imagine that when I'm generous to them, I'm giving to Jesus himself. That's an impartation of dignity and of love and grace and service. And he will reward him for what he has done. 
Who will reward us for what we have done? God. How many times have you maybe given to the poor and you're like, he wasn't very grateful. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that, but maybe it's one of them because we're expecting the reward from the wrong place. And so in faith, by giving to the Lord, I know that whether in this life or the next one, my reward is from my God. Proverbs 21 verses 13. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Now listen. We need to, as people who want to trust God's wisdom, we need to trust God's ways and therefore we need to trust that we can live these verses out well in this world. But not only is that true for us as individuals, this needs to be true for us as a collective church. We want to be faithful to these verses. Now, Every single one of us in this room and every single business represented in this room has taken some financial knocks in the last 18 to 24 months. And the same is true with regards to our church. And and by God's grace, we have not had to take any of the drastic measures that some other churches and businesses have had to take with regards to huge salary cuts and possible retrenchments. And we're so grateful to God for that. We're so grateful to your generosity for that. But even in the midst of these challenges, we want to be faithful to these verses. So let me kind of tell you how we try and do this as a church. First and foremost, we encourage everyone to be part of a life group. Because when you are doing life with a small group of people, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, And you eventually get to the point where someone feels the safety to be able to share, guys, I'm struggling financially in the following way. We as leaders have heard such incredible stories of generosity that have come out of our life groups in the past 18 to 24 months. In the form of meals, in the form of prayer, in the form of sometimes cash and deposits and financial help. And that is the church one anothering one another in such beautiful, wonderful ways. But there are times where those needs are greater, where the crisis is more complex. And so that's when often those needs are brought to us as an eldership. And what we try and do, first of all, just I hope you know this, we're not a bank. We want to be faithful to these verses, but we also want to be faithful to disciple people. So when these needs come to us, as far as is possible, and we always try to do this, is how can we meet your physical need and move you into community and into discipleship, accountability, and growth and maturity in the Lord? And so I don't know if you all know this, but every time you give money to Riverside Community Church, a percentage of that goes to helping us do exactly this well. On top of that, we've asked some of you, and some of you are still faithfully giving into our COVID-19 relief fund. 
as people in our church have experienced some very challenging times and have come to us, and it has been a joy for us as a leadership to meet the needs of the ministry and the people of our churches. Because we want to live this out. Not only that, but the Lord has been gracious to expand and grow our ability to meet the needs, not only in our community, but outside of our church community. The community around us, not only with food parcels, not only with grants and aids, and the Lord's even opened up doors for some international funding here, but Bible studies, leadership training, discipleship training, which is still going on, real kingdom work. Now, maybe your experience has been, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, that sometimes people take advantage of this, right? And we have, as a church have experienced that. And maybe you've experienced that. And so we just want to say that, that as an eldership, we want to be faithful to what God has called us to do. So if you by any chance have any concerns about that, please come and speak to us so that we together can be faithful to live out these verses. But the final area, if we're going to steward our resources well, we're going to be generous. We're going to be generous to the poor. Thirdly, we're going to be generous to the Lord. Proverbs 3 verses 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, the Old Testament idea of first fruits is this. You've got to imagine this is 3,000 years ago. This was an agrarian society. People didn't have cards and cash and EFTs. People used to have their first fruits. They're literally the first peaches, the first apples on the tree, or their first barley, their first wheat, their first lamb, their, their first cattle, and they would physically present it to the Lord as a gift. Now think about the act of faith that that takes. Because what happens if you strip all your apples of the first fruits? The apples are gone. You've given them to the Lord. And the faith is, I'm going to trust that the Lord will continue to graciously enable the rest of the harvest to come through. Now while that is a very literal concept in the Old Testament, the New Testament concepts evolve to kind of mean just the first and the best that I ever receive. I know for me, by way of discipline, whenever I get paid, I want to thank the Lord that I'm in that position of privilege. And then I want to give to Him my first and my best and honor Him with my wealth. And I want to praise His name. And I want to thank Him for that. Guys, while we are about very spiritual realities and while, yes, Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world, it is a biblical and a practical reality that money means ministry. There's a lot of things that we can do without money, but there's a lot of things we can do with money. We can feed the poor. We can meet needs. 
We can enable certain ministries to happen. We can build buildings. We can house people. We can make things happen. We can empower people who have been called by God to forego earning a normal salary in order to serve full-time in His kingdom. All of that has been part of God's ministry for thousands of years. But having said that, while there is a very practical side to this, we don't give to a budget. We honor the Lord with our wealth. And we honor the Lord with our first fruits. And the idea is that through all of our generosity, as we steward our resources well, as we are generous in life, as we are generous to the poor, as we are generous to the Lord, that the Lord gives through you. And as such, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you partake in the work of the ministry. And that is how so many of our prayers are answered. I love how John Wesley tried to sum up the ethic of money in the Bible. He put it this way. Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Now, as I was praying this morning for just what the Lord would be doing and saying, I hope that most of us, whether you're online or watching at a later time, or you're here with us in person today, is that you're just sensing an encouragement from God. Maybe a bit of light going on, maybe a bit of perspective, and that God is just moving you in a direction whereby you have a choice today if you're going to go with Him or not. But I pray that the overall tone is one of encouragement. But I am sure that there are people in this room who are maybe not feeling encouraged, but are feeling convicted. Where God's Spirit has just kind of put a laser on an area of your life. Maybe it's on the area of your heart and you're realizing whether I've got much or little or somewhere in between, I have placed my hope in wealth. And it's a good thing, but I've made it a God thing. And I've looked to wealth to define me. Or because I haven't had, I've seen myself through such a broken lens because I'm not defined by who I am in the Lord. I'm defined by my lack. And those are equal and opposite ends of the same spectrum. Rich and poor stand equally before the Lord in our sin, but also in our dignity. Maybe some of you have just realized maybe my habits, maybe my health is at risk here because of the decisions I've been making. Maybe the Lord's been speaking clearly to you about that. But I also want to be aware that for some of you, you've heard today's message through the lens of condemnation, which is not of God. Most likely, once again, because you're saying, Stephen, I would love to do all those things. But I'm like cut off at the knees here. How am I supposed to do any of that? 
So I want to end off with where we started in this series. And that is to remind you that when it comes to God's Word and what is known as kind of the wisdom literature in God's Word, we've got three books. The book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. The way the book of Proverbs works is speaks into principles. They're not promises, they're proverbs. They speak into principles with regards to, on average, how God set up this world to work according to the grace that He gives us. But God's wisdom doesn't stop in the book of Proverbs. It extends to the book of Ecclesiastes. And what the book of Ecclesiastes is saying is, Listen, I've tried to honor God with my wealth. And I look around me and I see corrupt people having the time of their lives and righteous people struggling. And so the book of Ecclesiastes helps us navigate that very difficult tension. But the book of Job drives it one step further. I've tried to honor you, God. I've tried to be righteous. Some of us are in difficult positions because we're the ones who haven't been wise. But sometimes despite my best efforts and despite my best efforts at righteousness and following God and trusting God and being discipled into a man or woman of faith, I'm still finding myself with nothing. Why, God? Do you know that word, why, is the most natural question to ask in times of difficulty? But I just want to put this out there. I don't think the Lord's going to answer that question. How do I know that? He didn't answer Job's why. And I promise you, his context was worse than yours. What did God do? He revealed himself to Job. And so maybe God's spoken to you through the book of Proverbs. Maybe you're cynical and you're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Or maybe you're struggling with your loss. And I just want to acknowledge that that's God's wisdom and God's word includes all of those situations. There's no easy answers. But God is available to every single one of you. And God is available to move every single one of you towards Him and towards His wisdom. And so I want to invite us all to pray. Lord, once again, we have been invited to trust You. To trust You above all things to trust you above the wisdom of the world, to trust you above what makes sense to me. And Father God, I know there's not a person in this room who has not been challenged in some way by your wisdom. And so we humble ourselves, God, and we trust you. God, I pray that that conviction and that encouragement would lead to decisions that honor you 
and demonstrate faith and trust in you. And Father God, I pray for those of us amongst us who honestly find ourselves more in the book of Ecclesiastes or the book of Job. And we don't have answers. Maybe we don't even have the right questions. But Father God, I pray that you'd be so gracious in supplying a vision of the God who is sovereign above all circumstances. There is not a single circumstance in this room that is not under the sovereignty of our good, loving, wise, and compassionate God. God, my heart wants answers, but you know I need you more than answers. So Holy Spirit, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see you, to see your kingdom, to see your grace, to see who you truly are and not the caricature we've created about you that's come more from my pain and brokenness than from who you actually are. We choose to move towards you, God. Your word says that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So draw near to us, God. And having prayed all of that, Lord, I do pray for this church. And I mean that both for us as individuals, as we're moms and dads and students and employees and employers, people with much, people with little, and us as a collective, God, I ask for your sovereign grace towards us. Coming to us in the form of wisdom, in the form of provision, in the form of healing, in the form of opportunity, in the form of faith, in the form of generosity, in the form of kingdom work through us blessing others. And God, we know that it makes no sense to ask a prayer like that in times like these, but we choose to trust you, Lord. And Father, I know that this conversation often stirs up such fear in our hearts, but perfect love casts out all fear. So Holy Spirit, pour the love of God into our hearts this morning. Grow that awareness so that it overpowers all cynicism and all pain and all fear. Fill us with yourself. And as you've been generous to us, God, in Jesus Christ, may you be generous to others through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.